You know, my mother used to say a long time ago, she would say, always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Welcome. You've reached The Helpline, a podcast about listening to you. Here to listen, here to help. Here's your host, Hans Aname. Hey, Hans. Welcome, and thank you so much for listening to The Helpline. Today's episode is cut up into two parts, and it deals with relationships just in time for Valentine's Day weekend. And it's in response to a write-in from Kathy in Oregon. Thank you, Kathy. My special guest today is clinical psychologist and a dear friend, Dr. Nancy Young. Dr. Nancy's experience spans over 30 years of helping couples, individuals, and groups teaching interpersonal attraction, love and human sexuality, psychology, and so much more. She specializes in a variety of therapies and is a Master Gottman therapist and trainer, which, if you know anything about marriage therapies, is the creme de la creme and one of the finest systems out there, in my humble opinion. So, without further ado, Dr. Nancy, how are you? I'm actually uh, doing pretty well. I do find myself periodically kind of uh, disoriented, you know, because there's so much I could be doing. Right. uh, Learning, basically. The learning curve for me for technology is steep. Um, You know, I'm kind of an antique. And so I'm trying to do uh, seminars on Zoom and all of that and figure out how to do my classes on the internet. These really are uncharted waters, aren't they? Nothing like this has ever happened in my lifetime. Nothing. I, I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, I think to myself, my parents who were born in 1906 and 1907, um, they went through the First World War and then the Great Depression and then a Second, a second World, World War. War. They were they were tough. Yeah, tough know? as nails. Yeah, they, they experienced it all. Um, my dad was too old to be drafted for World War II, but he joined up because he was afraid they were going to lose without him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, I love so, it. Yeah, so so I think of them as uh, stalwart, you know, hardy, resilient beings, and I think, well, this is our challenge. Yeah, in many ways, that's why the helpline exists to help increase resilience and hardiness in everyone who listens. Here to listen. Very good. Really good. So I have a few questions, a few write-ins, and some that I've added. Wonderful. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm telling everyone that you're my mentor, so we'll be watching you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do have a couple of good questions, I think. Good. And a longer write-in. Yeah, go go over the questions. Okay. First off, what three things or steps should married couples do in order to build a healthy relationship during the quarantine? Just three? <laughs> um, no, well, we can do nine. Okay, good. <laughs> Number two was, what's different about long-term happy couples? Mm-hmm. Number three, what are the four signs of a dying marriage, or rather, that threaten a happy marriage? Mm-hmm. Number four, if we have time, is it possible to fall out of love, and how do you know what's happening to you? Mm-hmm. They're, they're good questions. And the write-in. This is from Kathy from Oregon. She writes, I'm recently married and fear that I'm relying too heavily on my husband for emotional support. Mm-hmm. I've always been sensitive and cared what others thought of me perhaps more than I should, but I can feel it affecting my relationship. Mm -hmm. I know that my anxieties and self-esteem issues are things that I need to work through, and I've begun seeing a therapist, virtually now, once a month. But even before the wedding day, I was worried that he might back out because of my high expectations. Thankfully, he did not, 
but clearly that's not a good sign. Uh-huh. If I'm having a bad day, for instance, and call him at work, I'd want to have him take the time to talk to me. And later, maybe follow up verbally or do something nice. Flowers, cook dinner, buy me cookie, lol. Something. I mean, I would do that for him. Good. Is that too much to ask? I'm frustrated because it feels like I'm never getting enough support, and he's frustrated because he feels like he's always letting me down. Mm-hmm. We argue a lot. But when he complains of constant failure, I end up swallowing my emotions and not sharing them because I don't want to always be on him. Mm-hmm. But then when he doesn't see that I'm clearly upset, it just makes it worse. I just want to be his main priority because he's mine, but not in a crazy way. <laughs> Is that unreasonable? And that's from Kathy. Mm-hmm. All right. The, the first ones are probably going to touch on some of those later ones. I'm sorry about the dog in the background. Steph's trying to monitor them and make them shut up. No worries. Okay. So um, what was your first thing? What are the three three things or steps or something? Yeah, sure. What are the three healthy things that a marriage can do during the quarantine? Obviously, this is a time of a lot of proximity changes. Yeah. This is a really tough time. Um, we corresponded about the fact that China showed a huge surge in uh, divorce applications after the quarantine there. And um, this is a a test that'll either bring people closer together or tear them apart. Um, Because everyone, you know, people are working from home. Mm -hmm. And so they're cooped up in a house together. And if they've got kids, the kids are there. And they're, they're with each other 24-7. I remember my mom uh, saying after my father retired late in their lives, I married him for better or worse, but not for lunch, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, nice. if you're used to having some amount of separation, then uh, this is really, really trying. And it, it increases or magnifies all of the existing differences that people have. So it, it can make them uh, get too close to each other, too expecting uh, too much from each other, or it can make them fight all the time. Um, and so what I would say is the first rule about trying to make this a time that, um, that works for people, that, uh, that helps them through it, is self-care, 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 honestly. Mm. I mean, it's not, it, it, it isn't technically classified as a relationship uh, behavior, but it really is. So if you meditate, meditate. If you exercise, exercise. Um, eat right. Um, get enough sleep. Maintain your interests and your friends, albeit socially distanced. Um, keep recognizing that you're an, an individual and you have interests. I mean, I really feel bad for people whose only interest is work and their relationship because mm. they are really in trouble at home if they can't work from home. They don't have hobbies or interests. And so yeah. if you don't have interest, build some. You know, get into board games or puzzles or something. Uh, join a group online so that you have your own individual identity. Um, the second thing is uh, you've got to build a culture of appreciation and praise. And that's hard because we're geared uh, from our viscerally 
to watch for threat and danger cues. So we are naturally inclined to look for what's wrong. And the people who are first responders, um, police, um, military, fire, all of that, uh, I adore them and I am terribly moved by their ability to see what's wrong in a nanosecond. If they didn't do that, they'd be dead and we'd all be dead, okay? So I'm not dissing that ability. It's a great skill, but when it comes to your family or relationships with people, it's devastating because you're always watching for what's wrong and not for what's right. Mm. And it's important to build an emotional bank account of positives that runs about five to one positive to negative, or that's minimum. Uh, actually, the really skilled couples run that in a, in a conflict discussion, five to one positive to negative. And positives are things like showing interest or saying, that's a good point, or I love you, I don't want to argue with you, or um, hey, you want to take a walk? Negatives are things like, uh, you suck, that's, that's stupid, or I don't want to do that with you, and you know, why are criticism. those toys on the floor? You know, criticism. Um, and worse, contempt. So, um, you know, if you can try to change that tendency to watch for what's wrong and make a practice of watching to see if you can catch your partner and the kids doing something right, wouldn't be a bad idea to also watch to see if you can catch yourself doing things right as well because we're about as negative with ourselves as we are with others. True. That would be the first piece. Uh, really cultivate curiosity, not criticism, and turn toward each other rather than away. And so one of the things that I hear from my couples is they're starving for screen-free times. There is a funny thing on Amazon. It's way overpriced. It's, it's obscene, that the price. It's 20 bucks, but it's a little bag that is a, a bag that you put your cell phone in to put it to sleep, right? <laughs> and, and I think that that's a, a good concept. Nice. I don't know that I would buy the bag, but, you know, put your cell phones on, on uh, stop for some periods of time during the day and really pay attention to each other and ask open-ended questions and see what you can learn about each other during this time. And I know people who've been married 20, 30 years and they're like, I can't learn anything more about my partner. And that's just not true. So I would say they could go on their cell phones and download the Gottman card decks because mm -hmm. the Gottman card decks have, um, they have open-ended questions. They have love map cards. They have uh, appreciation statements. They have all kinds of stuff in there. So just download the, the Gottman card decks. I don't get a percentage of that. I'm just telling you, it's a good thing to do. Right. I mean, the first thing you mentioned, self-care, I'm such a big advocate for that. I mean, one does really feed the other because it takes energy to create the culture of appreciation when you don't have a habit of it. Mm -hmm. And then also to turn off that threat detector, especially for first responders. I mean, when you're on constant threat detail, yeah. you can bring that home and it can be corrosive to your marriage. It can be corrosive to your, to your intimate relationships. And yeah. so to practice meditation or the development of hobbies, what you're really talking about is creating space to find yourself and to find enjoyment alone so that you're empowered to then be able to turn toward your spouse in a way that's a lot more appreciative yeah. and in a way that can build that culture of appreciation. I mean, it all takes energy. 
Exactly. I didn't say uh, take up woodworking and spend the next three months in the garage. Right. But, right. but take up woodworking and spend certain periods of time in the garage learning and then make certain periods of time for your relationship. So, you know, people say that when you're in quarantine one, or in isolation, one of the best things is to have a routine. So one of the routines could be we're mm -hmm. going to be together and pay attention to each other in the morning after breakfast or during breakfast or maybe at lunch, maybe at dinner. And in between times, we're going to work or we're going to do things that reflect us, you know, as individuals. So that it's not confusing. Right. I mean, many people, if they're at home together, it's like, should I, you know, if I have a thought or I have a feeling, should I interrupt you when you're working? And a lot for a lot of people, that's really uh, hard. You become enmeshed and that mm -hmm. doesn't work. Another thing that's really crucial right now is uh, managing conflict because 69% of the things that people argue about, according to the research, are things that they've been arguing about forever, and this will amplify it. So things like um, somebody is much more obsessive compulsive than the other, and the other one's more laid back. Or uh, one person believes in uh, strict and structured discipline for the kids, and the other one's more laissez-faire. One person is always worried about money, and the other person thinks it'll come or I'll go make some more when I have to. You know, the, the differences in personality, temperament, lifestyle, how you were raised. And if you uh, can keep your arousal level low, because what we know is that when you flood, when you get too much adrenaline and cortisol in, in the system, it's mm -hmm. like throwing the brakes and the accelerator in your car on at the same time. And uh, it burns the engine out, so you can't think. So the first key is keep your arousal level low. If you find yourself getting upset, take a time out, which means you say, I need 20 minutes to calm down, especially if you're a guy because you have testosterone rush at the top. Or you can say, I need an hour or I need overnight. It's not, I need six weeks yeah. or forever, or I need some unspecified time. Yeah, you don't want to stone um, Right. And one of the things that I really like about being able to take a time out is I really believe it's important to realize that conflict is, is like your kneecap. If you have a hurt kneecap, it isn't your whole body. If you have a conflict, it's not your whole relationship. Right. It's, your, it's, it's a little piece of your relationship. I love that cartoon about the old guy holding an umbrella over his old wife's head. And he says, um, just because I'm mad at you doesn't mean I don't love you, you know, and it's, yeah. it's really important to be able to compartmentalize and say, this is an argument, this is a conflict, but it's not the whole relationship. So we can take, we can compartment, we can take a break. And I never want people arguing after 830 at night, period, exclamation point, never in the bedroom and never when they've been drinking. And of course, when people are home and they get bored, some people drink. So never when drinking or high or on drugs, never after 8.30 at night and never in the bedroom because that's a sacred space. Good rules. So if you have to argue, argue in the kitchen unless you have an eating disorder. 
and then <laughs> then go go in the car and argue in the car. You can go hear what rings out in the car. Yeah. So absolutely. So that's one thing, and um, realize that that a lot of the problems, your differences in personality, are going to be there until you die, and you've got to learn how to hold each other's differences gently and uh, be able to have a continuing conversation that is built on curiosity, not uh, criticism, where you're more and more curious about how do you feel about that? Where did you learn to feel? What, how did you get to feel like that? Mm-hmm. What, what built your, your uh, values on that? You know, what would happen if you didn't have that? And not to, not to convince or persuade, but to understand, because that opens the heart to compassion. Mm-hmm. A sense of discovery as opposed to a sense of judgment. Exactly. Exactly. So that's really just knowing that almost 70% of the topics you argue about today, you're going to argue about until, you know, 2050, 2060, yeah. maybe until 21 something. So it's not about winning. You can't win those arguments. You can only gentle them, gentle them down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the other skills for managing conflict are gentle startup, which means don't talk about the other person. Say uh, when this happens, not when you're an ass, but when this happens, I feel a feeling, not I feel that you are, no. When this happens, I feel I need positive need. So when when the there's there are crumbs all over the counter, I feel overwhelmed or anxious. I need you to help clean up, right? Yeah. It is so interesting too, talking about the physiological response, the anger, the frustration. It can be so easy in that state to think that your knee is your entire body mm-hmm. and that the entire relationship is wrecked, it's no good, it's a complete mess. And yet it's a total fallacy to believe that any relationship can be absent conflict. So learning how to operate within the conflict, that's the true magic. Yeah, conflict is a GPS for your relationship. And it's also uh, the thing that brings adrenaline. And if there's no adrenaline, there's no passion. So people who never argue are are likely to have no skin in the game. Indifference is the opposite of love, not hate. Right, you can bore yourself out of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and there's a whole literature about interrupting chain behavior sequences that cause adrenaline. So, yeah, I mean, you don't actually, early divorces around the fifth year, five to seven years, happen because there's too much conflict. There's too much adrenaline. Um, They can't, they're still in a power struggle. They can't get it right. And they haven't learned to pick their battles and, gentle down and keep their arousal level low. Um, Later divorces around year 15 to 17 happen generally because there's not enough glue to keep them together. They roll over one morning years later and say, who are you? You know, they haven't talked for years. Yeah, they lost each other. Yeah, so not enough connection. So, you know, it's a fine line. You've got to have some conflict, but you've got to do it gently and with some positivity. Yeah. And these are skills that are necessary at different stages of the game, aren't they? 
Yeah. I mean, there's not this idea that, oh, we've been married for 10 years or we've been married for 15, 20 years. And so now we're, and now we're picture perfect or we should be. Yeah. No, no, there are still skills. And that goes to your point earlier that there are still things that we need to learn to learn with your partner together in that space, in this era of your life mm -hmm. that relate to, that either relate to conflict or that relate to growth or new things, new changes, whether it be injuries, disease, transitions with the kids, grandkids, retirement. I mean, all these things, all these caverns, all these hills and valleys require a new set of skills so that the couple can operate optimally. Yeah. It's really important to stay uh, new all the time and expect your partner to be new all the time in some way. I had a teacher once who said, if you think you see me, if you think you see the same guy tomorrow as I am today, you're mistaken. Yeah. Because even our livers are changing. Even mm. the livers are, are renewing themselves. So, um, Every cell in the body. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. We have more than one incarnation in a lifetime. I love that because it also speaks to the idea that, you know, don't miss the person who your spouse was yesterday. Yeah. Look forward to what and who they're becoming today and tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. The thing that it reminds me of is that early in a relationship, you have this, um, uh, often people have this extreme dopamine high yeah. uh -huh. and, um, this sort of goes to your question about uh, falling out of love. Um, when you first meet, there is a perfect uh, ratio of hope to uncertainty about reciprocation, right? And that causes a lot of dopamine to flow in the brain. Dopamine is what cocaine pushes. Mm -hmm. And uh, addictive, addictive stuff. Yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. And, um, you go from the heights of ecstasy, the depths of despair, and back again in a single second, you know, depending on whether you perceive reciprocation. When you get reciprocation, you didn't expect it um, because the person wasn't as warm as they were yesterday. Uh, they weren't warm yesterday, and now they are, you know. It's like getting three gumballs out of a gumball machine instead mm -hmm. of one. So mm -hmm. dopamine really rushes into the brain. And in those, in that stage, dopamine supports libido and for women that's particularly important because we don't have we have a tenth of the testosterone you guys have and only a tenth of that is free and unbound and useful to us so we just don't have much of it and the thing that drives our libido initial initially in a relationship mm -hmm. is dopamine i mean it's very exciting um it may not be perfect for uh, function, but it's great for libido, for arousal and uh, desire. So once a relationship is reciprocated, though, uh, the uncertainty drops. So for a female, there goes the dopamine. No more cocaine, right? Right. And what women have then as the foundation for their libido is oxytocin. Oxytocin is warm, not, not, not fire and ice. Yep. Oxytocin responds to cuddling, to appreciation, to feeling cherished, to feeling uh, adored, you know, in a relationship and feeling close and feeling known. And it doesn't, it's not, um, you know, testosterone, 
response to touch or sight or something like that. <laughs> a whiff? And, yeah, <laughs> anything. 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 <laughs> yeah. Anything. And so um, you guys still have testosterone and you're like my gas barbecue grill, right? I push <laughs> right. the button and you're on fire. <laughs> right. Simple. Most guys. So um, women are more like the little engine that could after the dopamine drops. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Going slowly up that hill. The curve is different. Mm -hmm. Once you, It's like starting a, a fire in the woods with two sticks and no matches. You can yeah. get it going pretty good, but... It's going to take a little bit. You got to coax it. And so a lot of people don't understand that. So that's one place where, where relationships change radically. Right. And that can cause a breakup fast because I've had guys come to tell me, um, well, I, you know, I don't know. She's not interested. Yeah. 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 She's not interested. And, and I, I don't know what this, what I'm doing in this marriage. And it's like, well, you haven't figured out the rhythm now, you know, you haven't figured out the new rhythm and you haven't allowed for change in your partner, even chemically. Right. And after a woman has a baby and she's nursing, she has oxytocin to the max and oxytocin is the chemical that says shoot breast milk out to the baby. And so um, that's right. You know, it's not one that's real highly sexualized and she's touch saturated. So she's like, yeah, don't touch I me. Just, <laughs> yeah. I just want a minute alone. I've had something clinging to me forever, you know, and uh, guys feel really hurt and relationships tank six, 70% about 67% of the relationships tank after the birth of the first baby which is really sad because that's when you want to make the relationship better. So you have to change through the years. Yeah. And this is another time when we have to change. We're home together all the time for the most part. And, you know, take up board games for God's sake, you know, something, not just video games that are, you know, uh, real distracting. And the other thing is some of, some of the people are out uh, in essential jobs exposed to the virus all the time so there are tremendous fears about getting sick yeah. about there other people getting sick about uh your partner coming home from that kind of job and getting everyone in the house sick i mean and people are dying it's really frightening yeah it's a petri dish of all sorts of nastiness that is affecting um potentially attacking not just our immune systems but the solidarity of our relationships yeah it's like two people on a motorcycle trying to stay balanced through through rough terrain. Yeah. And with what you're describing, the oxytocin and the dopamine, in fact, there's a bit of literature about where infidelity enters in because the relationship now absent that dopamine response is discovered outside of the home, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. There are, I've had guys come and say, or women, mm -hmm. that say, I, I think I picked the wrong partner because either... Uh, we fight all the time, which is, of course, natural. You're going to fight all the time because you have 70% of the things are differences in your personalities. Or they say, uh, it's just not, I don't know, it's just not as exciting. I, it's, it's just, you know, it's... The it, spark is gone. It, the spark is gone. Mm -hmm. And often that's a person, especially for guys, I've said, or sometimes for women, I've said, 
maybe you might consider that it's a different chemical that supports long-term love than supported that initial rush. It may be that you're looking for something that maybe has a shelf life of six to 18 months, mm -hmm. right? And so unless you want to marry someone who's uh, geographically impossible, like clear across the country, right. or uh, someone who's a drug addict or alcoholic or someone. A bad boy. Yeah, someone who's yeah. who's very uh, almost but not quite available. In fact, the bad boy relationship follows that exact path, actually, right? Right. I mean, dopamine right. is what powers the relationship and the infatuation with the bad boy. Right. And guys, or the bad guys boy. who've had, yes, absolutely. And especially people who've had addiction problems with alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. um, they have uh, a proliferation of dopamine receptors in the brain from the drug and the alcohol use, the addiction. So it needs to be fire and brimstone all the time. Yeah, often, yes. And so, um, so it's re-education about what real love uh, or what not real love, because that is real love, but what a long-term relationship feels like, that it can feel warm and secure and comfortable, and you can feel like somebody has your back in this world. Someone is a witness to your life, and it won't go unnoticed. You matter and you mean something to someone. Yeah, but it's not fire and ice, right? That's real. I think so many of the listeners will appreciate and identify with parts and pieces of what we've discussed today. So we'll conclude there with part A. We'll be back with Dr. Young for part B. We'll be getting back to Kathy's question, and we're going to be talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four worst things every happy marriage avoids. See you there. Share your thoughts on the blog at thehelplinepodcast.com.